Life on Neptune returns for season two, where Adam and Emma will face adventures they have never even dreamed of, with more mysteries. So it's all been a lie? More danger. It means that one of you will die. More drama. Stop fighting. Are you listening to me? We need to unite or we die. And more risk. Guys, if we don't work together, there'll be no more government, no more money, no more land. There won't even be life. Make sure to be tuned for season two of Life on Neptune, coming soon on all your favorite podcasting platforms. book fair this is a podcast that is an analyzing children's literature for grown-ups however it can be used as somewhat of a teaching tool if you'd like this entire podcast its premise was birthed recently when i took a trip to target now i haven't been an avid reader since i graduated high school the last book i read was under the dome maybe back in 2013 2014 um i've attempted to read several books since then but unfortunately have been functionally illiterate for some time. That is, I can read, I just don't. And that's something that I've been wanting to correct for a long time. And so while I was walking through Target the other day, um, I was picking up some things that I needed, and I passed by the book section, and something caught my eye. Something that I simply had to read. Now, this is a concept that you may remember. If you've, if you've ever gone to one of the scholastic book fairs, you remember those those large crates that fold open into bookshelves with hundreds of books, the newest Goosebumps books, Animorphs, Boxcar Children, all the greats, all the classics, a lot of coloring books and how to draw books, instructional things like that, Guinness World Record books. I had a couple of those growing up that I bought from Scholastic Book Fairs. However, there is one that stuck out to me, one that I bought when I was in middle school at one such Scholastic Book Fair. And that is the novelization of the Disney movie High School Musical. Yes, I read it and I enjoyed it. Now, it is worth stating that around this time is when I discovered my love for books like Stephen King. I first read Carrie from the public library when I was in about eighth grade. So less than a year later. Went on to The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon, little known book by Stephen King. One of my favorites. It really established my love for his writing style especially when it's um, describing a single character on their own. He is really good at creating dialogue and creating realistic characters, but it's fascinating to see what he does when a single character is isolated. However, this is not the book that I read that I saw at Target that inspired this podcast. Um, I bring up the Scholastic Book Fair and the novelization of High School Musical because what I saw on a bookshelf at Target was the junior novelization of Space Jam, A New Legacy. It's adapted by an author named David Lumen. And doing a little bit of searching on his name, novelizations and joke books seem to be his 
his bag. That's what he does. It's what he does the most of. He has numerous joke books for SpongeBob SquarePants, uh, Fairly Odd Parents, and these seem to be the ones that are mainly that are that are mainly advertised on his biographies when you look them up. He has novelizations for um, CSI Club books that are putting you know students, middle school aged students, in uh, crime scene investigation scenarios that are a little more kid oriented. Um, but that's not exactly what drove me to this. Um, a little background on me. My name is Eric, and I have worked in children's theater for about 10 years now. So when it comes to children's entertainment, I believe that I have seen enough to make a decision on what is passable. I'm not an expert. I don't have a degree in English or writing or theater. I don't have a degree a degree at all. I was a college dropout. Uh, I was just an avid reader that fell off of the, the book train and fell into theater. And... And that's where I've been for the last decade, working in a children's theater, producing adaptations, uh, sometimes original, mostly pre-written adaptations, and sometimes doing some fluff work. And I can tell you that Space Jam A New Legacy, the junior novelization, is quite a bit of fluff work. And the reason that I'm drawn to it is not because I was nostalgic for the first one. Nostalgia can be a very dangerous and powerful thing. It is why we have a new Space Jam movie coming out. The movie isn't out for another month and a half at this point of recording. I read this book in a single day um, early in June. And it's that power of nostalgia that drives things like Space Jam and New Legacy, that drove Cruella, that drove Mulan, and any of the Lion King adaptations. And when you look at something like Space Jam and New Legacy with LeBron James instead of, you know, Michael Jordan, who is no longer as relevant, relevant, um, and that is no, no criticism on Michael Jordan. There is just a new person that is dominating the public conscience when it comes to basketball. I'm not a sports following person at all. Like I said, I've worked in theater for 10 years. I don't do sports in general. So I cracked open this book and read through it in a couple of hours. It's 136 pages. And wow, my goodness, I was not prepared for just how terrible. Now that's a little, a little unfair. David Lumen, I'm sure, does an accurate job of adapting screenplays into books. It is written almost like a transcription of a screenplay, and that is entirely to its detriment. It starts off with a flashback of a 13-year-old LeBron James going to basketball thing, a basketball game, and his friend giving him, and I'm quoting here, a portable video game player. This is an issue with copyright rearing its ugly head. You want to keep it vague. While it's common for people to use the phrase Game Boy to refer to any any kind of portable video game playing device, these days you might call it a Switch or a Nintendo. A portable video game player does not feel organic, and it's going to be awkward to read, especially for the target audience. They're going to know what a DS is or a Game Boy. Especially in the 90s, Portable video game player could have referred to any number of things. Could have referred to the Nintendo Game Boy with um, interchangeable cartridges, or it could have been one of the Tiger Electronic LCD screens. And this is really just one of the many, many times that this book does not get specific enough. We fast forward to LeBron James having children of his own. We see the antagonist of of this story, an algorithm named Rhythm. Now, it's not exactly clear what he is. 
The book does say that the algorithm sat at a computer. The algorithm walked across the, 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 the server room. If they had described what he looked like, how an algorithm was physically manifested, then that would be a little more excusable, but they did not. They simply said that he was an algorithm. These days, there is connotations, particularly negative ones, towards the phrase algorithm. A lot of content creators out there, especially on YouTube, some on TikTok, some on other platforms as well, they will use the phrase algorithm a lot, and children are hearing those words, which is kind of why I feel like this book should have done a better job of explaining not just what an algorithm was, but how this one could move. When content creators talk about an algorithm, they're talking about the automated process in which videos, usually on YouTube, are looked at, they are categorized, and they are sent out into people's recommended pages on their personal YouTube profiles, or channel, well, not really channels, but when you open up YouTube, you have a home screen with things that are recommended for you, that this algorithm has decided that you would be most likely to watch. And it is pretty good at predicting what you'd be interested in. I can look through the homepage on my YouTube app and see plenty of videos that I have an interest in. It's usually things like video game reviews, PC building, podcast equipment, microphones. So they do understand, it does understand what I like and what I want to watch. The main difference here is <clears throat> that algorithms typically single out, it feels, to these content creators, single out their content specifically, their types of videos, things that are um, on sensitive subjects, things that may not reach a broad audience. And that is when the term algorithm becomes negative. In the book, however, the algorithm is doing very similar things. However, it's immediately presented as a villain with those connotations of what the algorithm is. The algorithm as a stigma, as a with a negative connotation from social media. And maybe even worse, he has an assistant, an assistant named Pete. Again, the book never explains what Pete is, what he looks like. I believe about page 102, 100 pages into this 130-page book, that is when they say that they saw a robot that looked familiar, and they named this robot as Pete. It took 100 pages for them to explain that Pete, a secondary character in this story, but still a secondary character nonetheless, is a robot. It does take a lot of things at face value. This is primarily looking at the main character, LeBron James, and the antagonist, Algie Rhythm, which is a terrible name. It is just bad. <laughs> wow. The other main characters here, before we get into the elephant in the room, are LeBron James's children. He has a son named Dom, who likes video games, and another son. Oh boy. Oh boy. I forgot his name. It's right here in chapter two. Darius. He has another son named Darius. Darius likes basketball, following in his father's footsteps. And Dom, Dominic James, is not so much a basketball player, more so into video games. He likes to create video games. And again, we see the very loose term of portable video game player. He is sitting on a, he is sitting on the basketball court with his portable video game player playing the game that he designed. And 
can't really fault the author of the book or the people that wrote the screenplay that it's adapted from for not really knowing proper language of how to present video game development. It is a complex thing. It's something that my nephew is interested in. And I know that when he sees this movie, and believe me, he is going to see this movie because it is, he is the target audience. When he sees this movie and he sees a child, one like him, one that isn't fair-skinned. My family is Mexican, Amer- is Mexican-American, and I'm on the lighter side of the family. A lot of my family is on the darker side. He's going to see a little brown kid like him playing video games that likes to create video games. It's something that he has an early interest in, something that I wish to cultivate, something I want to nurture in him, that sense of creativity. The movie is going to do that, but it is not going to show the hard work that goes into it, and by proxy, the book doesn't either. Dom becomes one of the biggest catalysts of this book and of this movie because his video game development does play a major part in the story as it develops. Algorithm, Algorithm, has a proposal that he sends via email from one of the Warner Brothers executives to LeBron James's manager, asking him to take part in something that they call the Warner 3000. It is a streaming service, sort of, where in which they scan people into movies. Again, it's, it's a very simplified look at how things are made. And at this point, it's kind of a given that this book is not going to treat complex materials with the most forethought or research. It's not what I'm expecting from this book at this point. So it's it becomes easier to read uh, once you have thrown away those conventions of you, you need to uh, explain things. The only characters that really do get any kind of description is a reveal that happens once LeBron James is taken into what they call the serververse. He meets, and this is the elephant in the room, Bugs Bunny. And it's just kind of thrown out there. Bugs Bunny? And we see a lot of very unrefined dialogue where instead of writing it as what he is thinking, it is simply he sees dot 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 Bugs Bunny question mark. It's not it's not exactly it it I I have a lot of things to say about how this book is introducing these characters. And there's only one, maybe two, that uh, are introduced in a way that is dramatically interesting to read. Bugs Bunny needs to rescue his friends who have all left the planet, as he says, in the Warnerverse. They are in a subverse, a sub-universe of the serververse. They're on a planet, the Looney Tunes world. So, and, and man, this one did remind me of the cartoons. And it's why I say that nostalgia is a powerful and dangerous thing. Bugs Bunny plants a, pl- a flag on the, in the dirt. <laughs> and he says that he, he, um, he proclaims this planet on behalf of Earth. And a spaceship descends. And it goes into great detail describing a small creature, about three feet tall, with all black skin, eyes, no, fa- no nose, no mouth, a helmet with a brush on the, on the top, who plants another flag and says that it is actually on behalf of Mars, which is a very classic Looney Tunes gag. It's one that I remember fondly, and that, of course, is Marvin the Martian. They do a, a pretty good job of painting a description of what he looks like. 
They keep him mysterious. And I, I feel like it's unfair that they do that just for him. Everyone else, they just drop their name and assume you know what they look like. The book does have pictures on the front. It has eight pages of full-color illustrations of these characters, although not of the ones that you would probably want. Not of Algy Rhythm or Pete. Not the ones who, if you've never seen the trailer, like I haven't, the book doesn't explain what they look like, how they operate. At one point, Algy Rhythm changes into a suit. He puts a suit on that is flashy and silver, futuristic looking. However, we don't know what he was wearing before. We don't know what his outfit looked like. We never get a physical description of him from a cursory Googling. I know that the character is being played by Don Cheadle in the movie. That is all I know. I have avoided the trailer because I plan on reviewing the movie on a separate podcast and doing it blind, as blind as possible. The book then goes in through a rapid pace of introducing characters all throughout the Looney Tunes universe and all on different planets. They travel through space to different planets and as they approach different ones, their outfits change. They go to DC planet where they find Daffy Duck. They go to the Amazon planet where they find Lola Bunny and Wonder Woman. It, it does feel like it's putting in references, just like undoubtedly the movie will. Now, this is where someone might say this is for children. And that is something that cannot be disputed. However, as I've said, I've worked in children's theater for 10 years and I have strong opinions. Now, I believe that the movie itself is going to be mostly harmless. The book, however, is a little more damaging because it is a far bigger commitment for a child to read 136 pages. The font is large. The spacing is very generous, but it is still pages and pages of text. It is a major commitment for children to read, and it is all so boring. And that is probably the worst part of it. This novelization, and I don't want to discredit David Lumen for this, of a flashy, probably funny, action-packed movie was boring. I believe I got maybe two or three actual chuckles while reading this book. All of them on scenes I felt were pretty well-deserved, like the Marvin the Martian reveal. Daffy Duck had a couple of really good lines, and I'd even say that Daffy Duck's entire introduction is very true to his character. He is looking to join the Justice League, and he does it by staging a train heist and then saving the day. He is selfish. They never take that away from him. But probably one of the worst is that Bugs Bunny doesn't really seem to have a character to himself. They describe him as loony. The Looney Tunes are loony. Bugs Bunny had always been wisecracking, smart mouth, very clever, and um, a little selfish, a little mean. You know, all character traits that he does not exhibit in this story. This does take me back to, how is this book damaging? It does not present morals through the Looney Tunes, whereas the original had an underdog story. It had people coming together, and it had a message of the secret being within you. There is no secret recipe, there is no, there is no magical drink that makes you better. It's all something that you have the capability of doing. Space Jam, A New Legacy, looks to mend relationships more so than share that ideological form of thinking of you have the power within you. 
LeBron James throughout the entire story has been pushing his son Dom to go to basketball camp because basketball is what he used to be successful in life. It's a little narrow-minded to present him as a character that believes the only way to be successful is through basketball. Whereas if he were just pushing it because it's what he thinks his kids want. They want to be like him. And Darius, to an extent, does fit that bill. He falls into basketball. He likes playing. He wants to be like his dad. Dom, however, does not, and is just kind of pushed into it. There's also a sister. She doesn't do anything, which I think is a little unfair, because when you have a real-life person in your movie, and they have a real family, and then that family plays into the story, but only one of them really are an important character, it does feel a little it does feel a little unfair to the kids. But I feel like that I don't know if I don't know if that is something that the family had a say in. But again, this book can be damaging. It is going to be picked up by people excited for the movie that want to share it with their children. It's going to be picked up by children that are gonna see Space Jam and want it because it's the only thing that is on the shelf right now, you know, that they can see. There are toys, there's merchandise, but if you're walking through a store and boy, this was low on the shelf, where it might be at eye level with a child, they would see this and they would probably pick it up and say they want it. And worst off, somebody might be browsing online shopping and drop it into their shopping cart, not realizing that the movie hasn't even released yet. And what they are buying is a novelization that their child has no interest in reading. Some children don't. And probably because of books like this, books that are just boring, that promise one thing and are just unfun to read. And this does get me to the point of this podcast, the reason that I wanted to start this in the first place. As I said, I've worked in children's theater and I'll probably bring it up a lot because it's something that pertains to the nature of this this podcast and what we will be talking about, hopefully. And it, it just, it boils down to one simple idea. You can put this book next to something like The Last Unicorn. You can tell which one is going to be a more exciting book to read. And that's us as adults knowing that The Last Unicorn is a classic and Space Jam is just nostalgic. There are novelizations of things like Bambi. There are the small Disney books. There's things like High School Musical the novelization, that are at least decent and fun to read. At least I thought so. Then you have, on the very same shelves of Target, things like Harry Potter, Percy Jackson and the Olympians. Amazing books full of fantastical worlds, aimed at a different audience, I'll give you that. However, they are all for children. At what age does someone stop being a children? (laughs) At what age does someone stop being a child? And children deserve better than this. This junior novelization that is capitalizing on a movie success, a movie that's not even out yet. It's mostly just advertising for the movie at this point. It's also preying on people that are excited for the movie, preying on that nostalgia, preying on children that are just excited to see the new Space Jam movie with LeBron James. Children deserve better. They are smarter than we give them credit for all the time. A lot of people, especially those without children, I don't have children, A lot of people like that, they see kids as small adults, not quite there yet. Whereas I believe that they are people, people with feelings and opinions. Their brains are still developing. Their bodies are still changing. 
they are not quite done growing, but they are people, just like we are people, people that are constantly growing and changing. Two years ago, I didn't have a podcast. Two weeks ago, I didn't have this podcast. I didn't read this book two weeks ago. And I didn't have this idea, this revelation of sharing my thoughts that we as a people deserve better for our children, for ourselves. Something like Space Jam, A New Legacy, can be harmless. But when there are so many better things, when this is going to sell copies, something that like In the Heights is probably not going to do as well as Space Jam. I hope that it does better, because In the Heights is amazing. I can't wait to see the movie. But we know that Space Jam is going to sell better. It, it, it appeals to a larger audience, and that's probably what makes it so dangerous as a novelization of the movie, is that it is appealing to a large audience. There are things out there that are worth reading. There are things that are better than this and have a stronger moral. Even the moral of this book, and by extension its movie that it's adapted from, is not one that is meant for children. At the end of the book, LeBron James sees that his son, by his own desires and by his own passion for video game building, has created a world that is far more amazing than what he could have imagined. Created a game that is so different than the sport that he has made a career off of that he loves. Something new and innovative. And he did it on his own by being himself. So LeBron James decides not to push him into playing basketball. And, Le and LeBron's son, Dom, takes some of what his father gave him. After all, he probably wouldn't have made a game about basketball if it weren't for his father. But the main message here is letting your child be themselves. Then this, this is funny because it is aimed at children. We are preaching to the choir on this one. We are not giving the message to the right person. We as adults need this message, and it shouldn't be delivered through this. Then, of course, it is preying on nostalgia. We know who's going to see it. It's probably going to be millennials, people that grew up with the original. And as I said, nostalgia is a dangerous and powerful thing. That being said, I think that the book has moments. There are things here. I don't think that those moments are at all attributed to the person that adapted the work. No, no shame to David Lumen. I'm sure that he is happy writing these, these pieces and collecting the, the paychecks that they give him. And power to, more power to him for making a career out of this because it's something that I wish I could do. I wish that I could do what I love, which is pod, produce podcasts, work in theater, and not have to worry about bills. And that is why I am following my dreams. I am doing what I love. I'm doing it here. And I'm doing it despite my conscience and financial struggles telling me otherwise. This podcast itself is entirely driven on a dream. A dream that I have a message that is worth being told, and I want it to be shared. A dream that people out there may someday hear what I have to say. May hear me ramble and think that, yes, children do deserve better. I'm hoping that that message gets out to people. Because there are plenty of books out there. Plenty of books that you would have seen at a scholastic book fair that are worth reading. More so than there are that are not. 
I've listened to a podcast called Goosebuds, a far more successful one than I ever hope to produce, and they complain plenty of times that R.L. Stein's writing is somewhat lazy. And having read plenty of Goosebumps books in my day, and also having read plenty of fluff and seen lots of media for children that does not put in the effort, I can tell you, dear listener, that R.L. Stein's writing is actually really good. He has a style. He has a voice wholly his own. And when reading something like this, like a novelization that does not want to describe physically people, you will miss R.L. Stein describing every single article of clothing. Believe me. Because everything just kind of exists in a void. A void that a void that isn't filled properly by the characters, by the story. And so the whole experience felt empty. If I had to rate this book, and I'm, I think I might have to give it a 2 out of 10 bookworms. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't know what, I don't know my rating system yet. This is all still in its trial phases. It is legible. There are not many errors in spelling or continuity, you know, no more so than most books might have because there's a lot of a lot of individual words to proofread. I've seen plenty of spelling errors in books in my day, and they can be distracting. This book does at least get from front to back with one somewhat cohesive story. It is not a good story. It is not a com- it is not a compelling one. It's not an interesting one, and it's hardly funny. But it does get you somewhere in the end. Things happen. And in the story structure, things happening is kind of the bare minimum. By that, this book does do the bare minimum. And it does it at at least a second grade, at least a second grade reading level. I do thank you so much for checking out this pilot episode of The Book Fair, Children's Literature for Grownups. I do hope to produce more episodes of this, maybe get some guests on to talk about some of their favorite books. I promise that I will be talking about books that are good. This one was just so bad that I had to start somewhere. I can definitely ramble on about a book that I grew up loving and I have ordered such book. <laughs> ordered one, I have ordered one such book. So hopefully, if there is anything to be made from this, I will see you in a future episode of the Book Fair. <laughs>